Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of Geos Reviews, the interview podcast. This is a pre-Star Wars celebration special that I made with Jessica from Duchess of Dark Saber Light. Now, technically, this is episode 10 that is being uploaded, but this was episode 11 in terms of order of it being recorded in. I shall have my interview with Ario Onandito up next week. I sincerely hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Welcome to episode 11 of Geos Reviews, the interview podcast. Today is a special podcast episode. I'm not interviewing a comic writer, a New York Times bestselling author, but rather another higher public fan, Jess from Duchess of Dark Sacred Light, who you might know on Twitter. So hello to her. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here talking about a subject that I know that we're both very passionate about. Yeah, the higher public and ships, which I know is a big thing in the higher public fandom, you know, all their shit, all our ships and such, and which one's the best ships, which one is the worst ships, which ones make no sense. <clears throat> no tight. Let's not talk about that, though, right now. Let's just talk about Selena, the Rising Storm, and all that fun stuff, fun phase one stuff. So, uh, yeah, so we're just going to start by talking about our individual sort of thoughts on the Rising Storm. Um, and I guess I'll start with that. So when I first read The Rising Storm, and this is like going back, geez, it feels a while ago, but it really was just August 2021. I was a bit late to the party. Yeah, it was, but it feels so long ago. It really does. I've been doing this for a little while now. And it's like, oh my gosh, that was just yesterday, but also holy hell, it feels like I've been doing this for five years. Um, and I remember reading that book and I read Light of the Jedi first. I was like, okay, this is pretty good. It wasn't anything... I'm not one of those light of the Jedi people who's like, oh my gosh, this book was revolutionary. This book was amazing. It hooked me. It was good. It's much better as a second reread type book, light of the Jedi, because you're able to notice so many more different things that you didn't weren't able to notice the first time, unless you like listen to the audiobook version, like that Markian Rowe twist in the beginning of it, like when he was telling Loden uh, about the farmers and whatnot. You weren't able to notice that unless you read the audiobook. But uh, that was a twist I didn't expect. But it's like things like that where you can appreciate the greater place it has in the whole of the phase. Um, that the first part, you know, you're like, okay, cool, it is what it is. But the Rising Storm, because that was the second higher public book I read, I believe. I I didn't start reading the YA in the middle grade stuff till afterwards, so I sort of like went by uh, audience, did all the adult stuff, did all the YA stuff, did all the middle grade stuff. Um, before diving into the comics and all that. Well, actually, I think I started re- reading the comics first, but that doesn't matter. I didn't understand anything at that point. Um, so, and then I read The Rising Storm and I was like, holy shit, when I was reading that book. That was a book where it's like, it was totally different, I want to say in tone than Light of the Jedi. Light of the Jedi was, I struggled with describing the prose of Light of the Jedi, but it wasn't necessarily as airy as The Rising Storm. The Rising Storm, felt much more like watching a movie unfold before your very eyes. It was much more conversational. It was much more light. It was much more airy until it got really dark and stuff. But it, like when I read The Rising Storm and I read it on my Kindle sometimes and it says you have five minutes left in your chapter, however long you have, it's like I start the chapter and it's like by the end of it, I, I felt like a minute. It's not one of those books that drags on. It's like, oh, I have this amount of time left or all that. And so my first impressions of The Rising Storm was, it was this really revolutionary book to me because um, most books aren't like that. Most books, 
don't encompass you so much where it's like you really lose track of time. We say that. People say that, especially about romance books where they're just like flip the page, flip the flip page, flip the page, and suddenly, oh, they finished a book in a day. But especially with sci-fi and fantasy, you don't really get that uh, very often. And that's something that I think I finished it in like two, three days. I wanted to pace myself. I was like, nope, can't pace myself. It's too good. Um, and it, in a way, it's certainly like the uh, Light of the Jedi where it's better upon a reread because, again, you're able to notice so many more things, but also... I find that I'm a bit of a reader where when I reread a book, it sort of comes to life more when you reread it because I guess because you kind of know what happens, you're able to like fill it in and imagine it better than read by page by page. You don't know what's going to happen yet. You struggle to set the scene. With that, it was so much easier. And it's we're able to see the connections between characters that much better. Everything hurt much more. The Loden's death, that was even on the first read, when I got to that page, and this was before I joined the fandom and everything, and this was not something like, oh, I was talking about these characters and they're coming to life and all of a sudden that's why it hurt so much. Or I think this was all before I joined quote unquote higher public Twitter. And I got that, I was like, this is the end? There's no epilogue? What? It just ends like the first time in forever or the first time since he was a child, Stellan Geos was afraid. He was like, that's the way it ends? What the heck? just WTF I I was like oh my god but it was one of those books where it's like it gut wrenches you I don't think I've read a book like that where it gut wrenches you so much with that final twist of the knife but uh that's all I'm gonna say right now why don't you talk about what were your first impressions of sort of you can say Light of the Jedi and the Rising Storm but just sort of how you thought about that as a whole for sure um I I believe that I read them basically as they were published. I also hadn't, I wasn't involved in the fandom until after, I mean, it was, it was probably about the same time that you came in. Um, it was a, the just a little bit. The era. Yeah. That was, that was um, a fun, those were fun times. <laughs> yes. And so, so, so I, I read it. I always knew that the High Republic was going to be a little bit difficult for me because I am somebody who I don't latch on to new characters easily. My favorite Star Wars books are always ones that are about canon characters. And specifically, I always like it when there's like two canon characters, like Master and Apprentice, where it's like Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan. I really struggle with books where it's just one canon character interacting with a bunch of original characters. Or just original characters. And so I, I was like, okay, this is this big new project. And I mean, I'll be honest, I, when I picked up Light of the Jedi, I was like, I don't know if this is for me because you have that first quarter of the book that's literally introducing all of these characters who are there for six pages and then they die. And yeah. I was like, that's what it's going to be like. Um, and so, so Light of the Jedi, I kind of just slogged through it. And I liked it. But I think like you, like it, it, it set the stage. I thought that it was a really, it, it had a grand mythological feel that I really appreciated. Um, it also helped reading it. Um, I, you know, had the physical book, but then also listening to the audiobook because Mark Thompson mm -hmm. just did such a fabulous job with that initial book, just drawing you in. Um, I really, I really don't know if I would have gotten into it if it hadn't been for his. Marquee on row voice. I, I was about I to just, say, you know, that one that, it grips you so much. It really does. It's such a chilly voice, such a 
icy voice and it's so unique too it's yeah. something that's completely invented there's really nothing else like it and i don't know like i don't know that was the that was the glue that was the thing that just like made it come alive and i don't know if it would have happened otherwise because you know when you read the book and you don't have that he could just come off as i don't know if you just read the book um you know he's described kind of in that i think that i think that mark you know talks about how he created the voice by the the, the one line where it talks about him kind of like having kind of a you know soft you know whispery voice like yeah yeah like that. and that's almost more menacing for him you know because yeah he's always calm all, always yep. icy it's like damn that's freaky <laughs> Yeah, I, I honestly think like I, I'm not really sure if I really buy the way that they depicted him in the comics. I think that he's kind of seen more as like this hulking brute, which I just don't I don't see him that way. I, I, I feel like he's got much more of like a Moriarty from Sherlock vibe to me. And a twink. Yeah. And 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 I don't know that. But that was the thing that was just so unique about it. And I was just like, I need to know more. Rising Storm, though, was so much easier, you know, and, and, and it obviously makes sense because I'm the kind of person who struggles with new characters. So when you come into characters you've already learned and, you know, grown to love. No, I'm good. Really, it's very conversational. It just it feels like you're watching a movie. And so I don't know when I um, came into that, it was just more interesting. Yeah, you're freezing out a bit. You sort of just froze out yeah. for that whole part, by the way. Yeah. Um, oh, no. That's a, um, I, yeah. I'm not about to do my, my my computers on the good Wi-Fi network. Um, <laughs> it was basically the whole thing. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope that won't happen Dude, too just, much. I'm not sure what to do. Well, hopefully it won't happen too much. But uh, you were talking about sort of, I guess, the same things about the Rising Storm as I did. It was much more conversational Light of the Jedi. I sort of think about it, Light of the Jedi set us all up and the Rising Storm knocked us down. Like... I understand phase one is really a a three-part story with the adult novels um and I think it works well with that I think Star Wars is one of those unique things where it works really well in terms of three you know trilogies um that being said phase two has two books and phase three or phase one had three adult books and I feel like I'm not saying that we didn't need the fallen star or, or whatever though could have been a cool way to start off phase three but light of the jedi and the rising storm work well together as a pairing and the fallen star is just sort of out there this especially with the way it's written it's not really tangibly connected it's sort of just one of those things where it just sort of exists but there's no references like to what happened in valo on valo even though Stellan is such weighed down by that PTSD, as we saw in uh, Out of the Shadows, and how he got very uh, snippy and he snapped, basically, at Avar in Trail of Shadows, in um, 
a little bit in the, the main comic series. And we even saw a little bit, I forget if it was the Bake Off or the High Public Adventures, where we sort of saw that cameo of him. Um, that was like the only time we actually saw him happy after Bella, I think. The only time we actually saw him with a smile. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things I know is where like, Poland Star doesn't really fit in that phase one. Uh, the adult novels, it doesn't really fit that well as a trilogy. I know that's a controversial opinion. I know some people really do like Fallen Star. I don't know how, but that's a topic for another time. <laughs> I, I'm right there with you. I, I don't understand how people enjoyed it at first, and I don't understand how like some people are saying that it, it's a better reread. Admittedly, I haven't had the wherewithal to do a reread yet, but I don't know. I The word that comes to my mind is superfluous. I think that it was meant to be a trilogy and Rising Storm is such a perfect Empire Strikes Back. And then Fallen Star tried to do that again. And I just don't, I mean, I, I, I know that they up in a Return of the Jedi, like the ending, because we've still got more phases, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I just I look at what happened in Fallen Star and like I'm as I'm doing a reread now of Fallen Star, I'm recognizing um, what I was aware of the first time when I read Fallen Star. But but when it, on this reread of Rising Storm, you know, just those those character arcs of Stellan saying that that, you know, he was tricked, like, you know, he fell into this hubris as well. And that's something that, you know, is a part of Lena's character. That's a part of Elzar's character. Um, and so yeah. just felt like it was a, a repeat. Yeah. it It's one of those weird things because you had two books that connected so well. And it basically a lot of the stuff really connected very well um, with the first uh, parts of the phase. Um, Out of the Shadows and the Dark, it sort of connected well um, in certain ways. And so did uh, Mission to Disaster. Was Mission to Disaster? The first middle grade novel. I forget. I guess these no. in a second, I think. Test, no. test of Courage. Test of Courage. Okay. I always get those two mixed up. Yeah. Um, th there were pretty good segues in the second book as well. And then at, at least across, it was just, it seemed like that the Fallen Star didn't make any effort to connect as what happened in, you know, wave one to wave two, it just sort of happened wave two to wave three. And there were no references to whatever happened and also it, it's interesting to look back to see how enamored we were by all this but meanwhile in a way book one book two book three were also the same they were all sort of they were disaster movies they may have been written in very different ways and had very different uh i guess prose and dialogue and whatnot but i think another reason why the fallen star sort of lacks is it really is only a disaster book when you had the Fallen Star, it only sort of focused on, or not the Fallen Star, the Rising Storm. It was just that middle third. Even though there's no parts in it, like Light of the Jedi, it could be thematically thought of as part one, part two, part three. Before the fair, the fair, after the fair. And then with Light of the Jedi, you know, we only part one was big disaster. Um, it, it was sort of sprinkled in at the end, especially in part three, but it wasn't like a disaster book. But it, I do wonder if we'll get some fatigue about that in uh, 
wait in phase three if they continue to the disaster sort of trend because that could get very boring very quickly. There's one thing I like about phase two is we're sort of, there's not really a set mold that they're following with any of these books. It's a positive and a negative. With Path of Deceit, it was very unique. Path of Deceit, I think, is one of the best higher public books out there. The rest of it, not so much, but it was very unique with what it did. And that, I think, is really appreciated, uh, at least in the grand scheme of things right now. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm I'm, I'm interested to, to uh, see what I think uh, of Phase 2, since I haven't done much reading in that. It is interesting, though, to go back rereading Rising of the phase two references that um have always been there but you know now i'm seeing you know the path and 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 all of the open hand and all of this and and uh kind of just waiting to uh get uh, into phase two so that i can put some understanding to all of that but yeah it was really interesting because yeah. with the rising this, storm this very grand project yeah, with the Rising Storm, there are so many Easter eggs in there that it's so interesting to see how that's all referenced. Like, it's sort of insane the amount of Easter eggs that Kevin Scott put into there. And then you're just sort of seeing that all unfold in Phase 2. And it's like, oh, my gosh, how do you write all these Easter eggs in there before, you know, Path of Deceit was written and all that? It's amazing how he just sort of decided, like, I'm going to implant all the Easter eggs. Um, but, yeah, it was just really sort of interesting. But anyway, we'll be right back after this quick break. All right, we are back after this quick break. And I think there's a perfect segue to sort of talk about why we decided to do this podcast episode, which is Stellina, you know, that ship that we have that is kind of a niche ship. I mean, I suppose all the ships that isn't uh, Stell, Abzar, what's the... Uh, the uh, ship name for Stellan and Elzar and Avar, just really Elzar. I think that's and, right. Uh, I, I have no clue, but I know Elzar and Avar are the most. I, I'm not big on the uh, the poly ship between the three of them. I don't really think that's how it worked out. I think that's, if anything, it was sort of like the opposite, where maybe Stellan like, sort of thought things might be heading in that way, and then they didn't, and then he'd be salty about it. But anyway, alas, alas, I, I drift off. Um, so yeah, Stellina, that was sort of the ship that I think me and you both was like, that was the main ship in this book. If there can be a real ship from this book, I don't know, maybe we're just a bit nuts and we're looking for things where things aren't actually. Um, but yeah, so why don't you talk about Stellina first and why you thought about Stellina, like why you ship those two characters together. Yeah, you know, what's funny is that I didn't, I didn't get it on the first read. I went through the whole book and, and, uh, you know, we were talking earlier about just like initial impressions. I mean, kind of like you, like I just devoured Rising Storm and I, I, uh, I had a work party that was located like, like a, an hour away and I had the audiobook on and I remember that day, like going to this it was cookout or something like that. Um, I, it was still like the Nile hadn't even attacked yet. And by the time I got home, like I was at the party, just wanting wanting to get back into my car so I could listen more. Came home and I just sat in my car and I just listened for hours. 
<laughs> and it was just so good. But what's so funny is that I didn't really pick up on it the first time until maybe like I, at the very end, I was like, is there something here? Did I miss something? But then what's really funny is that on the reread, like I, I went into it asking myself, like, am are we nuts? Like, are we making this all up? And what's so funny is that, no, like I, I see it. Like, like, I don't think that it's obvious and I don't even, I honestly don't even know if it's supposed to be intentional, but the way that they interact and the way that they um, support each other, I think that that's, that's the thing that draws me to them because I'm the kind of person who I don't really like ships where people find love. I like when the love finds them. Yeah. And so like like that's that's why I'm always going to be you know more like with with uh ships like Stellan and, and Lena as opposed to um like I mean Elzar bless his heart he's just trying so hard <laughs> but you know I, I I love Avar and and Elzar but um you know that 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 romance is a part of that dynamic and it has been from the beginning and so I don't know there there was just something about these two characters and and I'll admit a lot of it has to do with the fact that my other Star Wars ship is Obi-Wan and Satine that very that, similar dynamics um, to that yeah very similar dynamic not only just like politician and and Jedi bodyguard but also the fact that like in contrast to a couple like Anakin and Padme like Obi-Wan and Satine and Lena and Stellan they're they're all those characters that are really defined by their duty they're very honorable like that's the work is what's important and then they find each other through that duty and and that support that they give each other and that's the thing where I finally realized like oh this is one of those ships that's when I latched on you know it's a bit similar to Padme and Anakin and it's a bit similar in the sense of the age <laughs> because <laughs> Stellan's like 30 I think I think he's like 30 32 and Lena's like 50 like late 40s early 50s something like that she's got a <laughs> she's got a young teenage son like I I I I know that that could happen at any point but like let's, let's, I do think that some people like try to make her ancient like I I've looked I, I've I don't looked think at like she's ancient I just think she was like late 40s I think she yeah, was think like so mid to late 40s I don't I, think she, I, I don't because especially in some of the art, you know, she does look a bit uh, on the older side. It really just depends on what art, because sometimes she'll look young and regal, yeah. and sometimes she looks like she's 65, and I'm like, she isn't 65. Yeah, and that's what's kind of funny is that when you're, when you're, um, when you've got a, a series like this where it's great to have concept art, but sometimes the con the concept art and the comics and things like they don't really match. I've definitely noticed that too. But, but the one thing that I did notice is that on, on my reread, Kip, talks about the fact that like his mother has always been am ambitious and that she's really worked hard to be seen as respectable because they're from a backwater planet and then mm -hmm. it's got a it's got a comment about how it's especially it was especially difficult because she had a son in tow and that tells me that she had him young yeah that's true but also it's like sometimes confusing because let's see if i can share this if i like share this screen i hope you can see it <laughs> she just looks very old in i this. know she looks like 60 look at matari <laughs> oh my god yeah that, that is funny okay now i gotta stop sharing there we go stop sharing but uh that she looks old in that. and meanwhile then you have like trail of shadows and especially uh eye of the storm where she looks like young she looks like yeah 
late thir- late thirties, early forties, and such. So it's sort of like hard, but there is an age difference. There, that yeah. we can that we know. There's a significant age difference between the two, even if it's only a decade. Yeah. But so it's a bit similar like that in that way, though everything's consensual. There's no child grooming in that. <laughs> I hope. Yeah, she didn't meet him as a child. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Pod um, race. Janice. I never really think about that romance. Um. But, well, I just try ignoring that part. But uh, yeah. But I don't even think I noticed the Stellina romance at first. I think someone mentioned it on Twitter. This was like early in the uh, days where I joined, and someone mentioned that. It was like it was like one of those reactionary tweets where like Stellin, Lena grabs Stellin's hand. Like, oh my gosh, am I the only one who saw romantic vibes with that? And then all of a sudden, everyone really saw it. The moment started clicking. I don't think it was me or you who mentioned that. I think it was- no, it wasn't because that's the exact same thing I was gonna say. I, I think forget. that it was the same post. I think it was Pat. I think it really. It might have been I because it because I I believe that what it was was, um yeah j- just like like you said it was just kind of like was there something between these two characters and like I, I had kind of been working towards that but at that time I was a little bit more. Um, like I thought that it was a little bit more intentional that Stellan had something with Rill, and so like I I, I, I kind that. of saw it, I kind of didn't, but then I I thought that I I liked the fact that once Pat or whoever it was made that post, um, that there were other people who said like yeah I did notice that dynamic, and that's where it's like I mean maybe this is one of those ships that just is kind of fan created but i don't think that it's without reasoning yeah i i concur with you on that it's definitely one that we sort of again this it's interesting because it's very much a where's your mindset at type thing because as we said if we i don't think if someone didn't mention it at first I'm not exactly sure we would have really noticed these things on the reread or picked it up and made that connection. Yeah. All of a sudden, when someone makes that connection and has that mindset and then shares that mindset to us, it's like, oh, I see that now. Yeah, that makes a lot. It's sort of like turning it on its head. And that's when everything started clicking. It's like, oh, I agree with this. Yeah. And then you start thinking of other moments in the book where it really starts clicking in a way that's nice because it has a nice subtlety to it so that way if you stand on any sort of the divided line it is a ship it isn't a ship they do have chemistry they don't have chemistry whatever 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 you know teach their own it, it makes sense either way it's not one of those things where it's like dumbfoundingly on one side and the other people are just idiots um which which is nice um but it's interesting to like look back at all those moments and be like ah, yeah i see that now yeah, on my reread, what's really striking me is just the, the number of times that it says that Stellan is impressed by her. Because that's the thing is that I, I I don't know, like, it's it's hard to know exactly what's there, if anything's there. It's also really difficult because Lena really isn't a POV character. So, I mean, there's just that's a... true. I mean, she's got... I mean, I, I'm, I'm Except halfway in the through my... Star. <clears throat> That, that horrible scene at the end where I she don't just get loses it. her cool but whatever moving on yeah i mean she 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 is a pov character in light of the jedi but obviously yeah. stellan's not in that one but in i i thought that she had at least one pov scene in rising storm but i think that maybe i thought that it's the one where it's it's a uh, kip's pov talking about 
his mother talking to him while they're in her apartment and so like it's yeah it's 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 hard to know exactly what if anything like like i can't just say like oh i think it's one-sided you know um uh, lena likes stalin or stalin likes lena like it's kind of hard to know because she's not really giving a lot of her input in the story for the readers but stalin is really interesting because i think that he is he's you know just kind of he's he's this straightforward jedi who's just you know elzar said that everything's black and white with him you know and i think that that really makes relationships and those kinds of things and so like i it's hard to know exactly what's there but like i said what just really struck me is how he just like you go back and you notice that he's really enamored with her like whether it's platonic or not like like he's very impressed by this woman and he says things like he believes that she can do anything and i like i think that that's just really cool to see this woman who's so capable and yet it's not formulated like it's going to be a romance i kind of like that even more yeah and i think something at least when you have this mindset the cherry on the top of the cake would be in the eye of the storm which is just when she mentions all the masters by the last name but for stellan it's stellan it's it's like stellan in that really sad depraved face and it it's just stellan with that it's not master geos or whatever they have that sort of bond they have that sort of connection and it's interesting because you know she was sort of the uh she he was the appointed i guess person to deal with nile um I still say Nile, like sort of like Nile and Nile, like combined, but whatever. Um, he, you know, at the that so scene I. in the Rising Storm, <laughs> um, and, and it's interesting to see like what type of connection do they really have behind the scenes? Because there's however many months, I think it was the year's time between I the no the storm, a year's time between the Rising Storm and uh and the fallen star and we didn't really get much of that behind the scene dynamic we got a little bit of it with trail of shadows i think with stellan like i forget if stellan was looking right at not looking standing right next to um lena or whether he was one away but i remember when gear star said something really she did it just both gave her looks it's like what the hell are you talking about yeah i i uh I think that that's really interesting because like that comic is kind of the only window that we get into their working relationship post rising storm and my whole thing is that like i just can't stand that fallen star just doesn't explore that at all it's like it's like the ending of rising storm just isn't taken into account at all and we just pick stellan up and put him in a completely different situation dealing with the beacon when what I was always hoping was that we would get this view of him and what exactly is going on because the, I, I mean, honestly, like romantic, platonic, I don't care. The thing that intrigues me the most about this couple is that they are supposed to be that foreshadowing of the Jedi and the Republic intertwined. And the fact that like Lena is the one who asks Stellan to deal with the Nile threat and for very good reason. And 
And you look at that and you see that justification, but you also know where it's going. And so that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see I wanted to see Stellan kind of almost taking on the kind of general role that we see in Clone Wars, but I think that it probably would have been more of a a background kind of strategist role, maybe. But I think that like that's what really bugs me is that we kind of get him waffling at the end of Rising Storm, but not really we don't really see anything that happens after that moment where she asks him to do that. Yeah. And the only connection they really even have in the fallen star is, uh, I forget if she was on hollow film or like whatever or something. I, I forget the specifics. Cause like you, I haven't reread the fallen star. I just haven't had the courage to do it. I'm just like, Nope. I think it's, I think it's one of the only high Republic books in phase one. That I've not reread. I think it's that and Into the Dark because I don't have, I don't know, maybe part of it is The Fallen Star, in my opinion, on it, but I just don't have very fond opinions of Into the Dark. I, I, re- I just mm-hmm. like sort of thought it was like mid when I first read it. And then after, like, as it, it hasn't aged well with me. But uh, I, I, he was thinking of her. And that's like the only time he actually thought of her. And it's like, oh, it looks like it might be going a bit of a romantic direction. Never gets mentioned again. Nina doesn't even get thought of in his mind nothing in that happened on Dallo happened that gets thought of by him and that's just i don't get that because he doesn't even have to think of lena even though he probably should it's the ptsd that he's dealing with it's very evident that he is snapping he is losing it and i understand he sort of talks about that a bit in the fallen star but it doesn't really get to the root of why it's all weighing him down. It isn't just the duty. It is also valor. It's also dealing with that, his hubris that came crashing down. He was he had a lot of hubris with him at first. He was really bold. And you can see the self-doubt really start once the attack happens, like, oh, I should have done this. I should have done that. He's the man who constantly criticizes himself, which is sort of why I really aligned with Stellan, because him and I are certain we're similar in certain facets and I'm very much like if I make even a small mistake, I'm like, God damn it, I shouldn't have made that mistake. I, I shouldn't have that. I could have done this. I could have done that. I, I constantly self-criticize. Um, but it was interesting to see him do that. And then it, they never really talked about Valor and the Fallen Star, which I think is its greatest, its greatest fault when you have such an interconnected story, when everything's really this web, you can't just, when you're, passing the baton off you really gotta just take the baton and run with it not just be like i'm gonna do my own thing i think why the giant and the rising storm connected very well it was really two parts of the same story even though there were different characters new and old some characters didn't return some characters did and there were new ones as well um it really handed the baton off very well it felt very much like same story different prose you know more brotherly i think that book was more casual but it still felt like a seamless handoff and you just don't get that with the fallen star it's painfully frustrating especially because uh these were the first star wars books that i ever read the the um the the higher public i I had no experience with cabin scott or charles sewell be it comics or otherwise and i know claudia gray is revered in the star wars book um world i know she wrote master and apprentice and uh dark no she didn't write dark disciple she wrote, uh, was it Bloodline? She did Bloodline. She did Lost Stars. Those are the ones that, yeah, she's really known for. Yeah, and, dark, and not Dark Cycle, but uh, Master and Apprentice, too. She was sort of yeah. like, 
the MVP of Star Wars book writing. You know, whatever you got from her was immediately going to be a win. It was going to hurt. It was going to, it was going to be have these moments and, and everything. And that's, I mean, I sort of just sort of, I guess, I, I'm struggling to find the word, but I just sort of listened to what everyone else was saying. I was like, okay, Claudia Gray is great. She is clearly the, the book is going to be amazing. It's going to hurt. It's going to be everything that I could hope for and uh, and such so i was like okay you know what i'm listening to you guys claudia gray is the shit this book's gonna be amazing it's gonna be better than everything that came before and meanwhile it's like i'm reading this and i i woke up actually at 3 a.m to read this book so i don't know if you ever i remember doing this when i was like younger i used to wake up at like midnight or 3 a.m when a video game i was really excited about came out I used to wake up at that time and be like okay i'm playing the video game for an hour or two before school um so I woke up at 3 a.m. for The Fallen Star because I was really hyped up on the High Republic at that time. I was supposed to get a review copy, but it didn't come till like a few weeks late. It actually came like two weeks late. I was like, oh, I'm the last person to get a review copy. Thanks. You know, uh, it's a free book. I'm not going to complain. Free book's a free book. Um, but when I read it at 3 a.m., I was like, okay, turn the page, turn the page, turn the page. But the time I was done, I was like, uh, what 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 no no this this is this is not it this is not what we were promised i just don't get it because like you said like like claudia has always been known as this real like this real mvp this real um uh like this trustworthy author and i'm sorry it just it doesn't feel like she read rising storm i i the way that i describe her and and like this is controversial but I think that, you know, when you think about the sequel trilogy of movies, there's that one that bothers you. It's either it's either Last Jedi or Rise of Skywalker. For me, it's Last Jedi. And it's because Ryan Johnson is a great storyteller and a great director. But I don't think that he he built off of what was set up in the movie before. Well, and so I, I've always... I, I've, <laughs> I mean, I, lo I love The Last Jedi. I do. Yeah. I hate it at first. It's something that aged much better with me. I just think that the sequel trilogy is just a mess. You can't really blame it's anyone for that. You can't. You, you yeah. can't blame. JJ no, Abrams. you can. You can. You can, you can blame Disney. You can blame Disney yeah. because you you wouldn't expect a trilogy like Lord of the Rings to be written by three different authors. Why would you expect a trilogy of movies to be created by three different people and then two and expect it to be coherent? It's ridiculous. And 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 so what's what's funny though is that we have a parallel of that in the high republic mm. and the but the benefit was that we knew that they were close we knew that, that they were planning all these books together that they were getting together and having these fun meetings and kind of showing us pictures of that and so we had no reason not to trust that it wouldn't be cohesive and for the most part up until that book it felt like it was and then I like the way that I talk about Ryan Johnson is that I think he's a great storyteller. He just doesn't play well in other people's sandboxes. And I, I, I attach that to Claudia too. I think that she is a fabulous storyteller when she can create the parameters of the story. I think that Lost Stars is just, it's, it's great. It's, it's her own characters and she weaves them into the story that we all know and so when she's setting the parameters, it works really well. I just don't know if she, I just don't know. I don't, I just don't know what she thought she was accomplishing with a book like that, where, um, you know, not, not only, I, I really, I, I, I agree with you that like, it's, 
it's a really a repeat. Each one of these books is a disaster book. But then even then, I don't I really don't understand the premise of the main characters being Stellan and Elzar again. I really think that if anything, it should have been Stellan and Avar because we already knew that there was problems in the comics. And I know that the comics was kind of the issue of like why she couldn't be there. But again, like the word that I just always come up with is superfluous because it just does, it feels like it's trying to retread the same ground, not only in terms of story arcs, but also in terms of character arcs. And so I just think that like, when we look at that, I think that what that bugs me so much is that when I read Rising Storm, Stellan is happy. It's a stressful situation, but, and, and, and he doesn't, always know exactly where his place is in terms of like being on the council is a new thing for him but as i'm going through my reread what i'm just really struck by is the fact that like stellan finds all of these moments to teach he says he's a teacher he says he's a mentor there's the moment where he's talking to bell and he he, he seeks bell out in order to make sure that he's okay after his near-death experience and he tells bell i i've gone through the death of my master if you're having problems especially with connecting to the force you can come to me and bell is like i don't want to intrude and he says this is why i'm here and when you know that he's a teacher and you know that he's a mentor that makes sense and what really bugs me is that fallen star really seems to take it in like putting stalin on the council like doing all these things it just it was the worst thing for him and he couldn't come back from that. And I just don't really see that. I think that maybe maybe he shouldn't have been on the council, but I think that his position on the council gave him opportunities to still teach, to still mentor. And I think that in really emphasizing like that he's unmoored, like he's just lost, I didn't get that at all in Rising Storm. So then when it was such a focus in Fallen Star, it just, it felt like a character arc that had no foreshadowing in Rising Storm. I have no issue with like, I sort of agree with that actually. I'm sort of like the opposite. I kind of see where she was coming from. It just needed to do a better job of connecting why he got there because he's very clearly suffering from some PTSD and stuff. So I have no doubt that he would be suffering, you know, doubts like that and be like, you know, he doesn't belong on the council and all that such. And, you know, it's withholding him from other duties and such. I just think there needs to be a better connection as to why he got there. I think it would have worked better in the Fallen Star if it really transitioned as to yeah. why he's at that point. I'm not opposed to him being at that point. It just needed to be better segued to get there. It just sort of felt very much, okay, it's there. And that sort of brings you to another point is these authors claim, and I know that why they have to claim it, that you can read one part of the story and it's fine. I cannot disagree with that enough. Um, I think you really need to read everything to fully understand everything, especially with phase two, but that's a topic for another time. But say you read the adult novels only. Where the fuck's Avar? Pardon my French, but where, where is she? She's the main character in book one and she's not showing up in book two. She's not showing up in book three. Until the end. Where, 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 where they try she? to they try to make her a main character by the end of the third book. And I'm just and like, like, you you yeah, haven't justified no. this. You haven't earned this. And I think that that's the whole problem with Rise with a Fallen Star for me is that there's very little in that book that feels justified. 
there are i absolutely would accept stellan's death i would hate it but i would accept it if it felt justified and in it's that case it just it just doesn't it doesn't feel like it was set up it doesn't feel like his death really accomplished anything and to be very honest we've heard claudia say that at first he didn't die and, and that yeah, just really bugs me of, yeah that's a tough pill to, to swallow because it if, felt if, very much thrown in there so that her just saying it wasn't planned at first and she wrote it with him not dying just makes a lot of sense because like okay nothing really changed in the book except him dying there's like no there doesn't even be foreshadowing anything i love a good shock death there's no foreshadowing of Loden's death but the point being is his death is like explored in a way like very for a very brief time it's sort of explored you can sort of like it's meant to be gut punching and it is with Stellan's death, it very much was thrown in there, and it shows. It shows that it was just sort of thrown in there. Um, and who knows? Maybe that's because we just love Stellan, but people love Loden, and people accepted that death. We hated that death, but holy hell, was it painful. And But it was good. We accepted it. We liked it, in a way. We hated it. Because it felt justified. It. It, it, yeah, it, really it really strikes me that, you know, when did that meme come out about... Um, uh, you know, Kevin knows what he did, and then it kind of got applied to the other authors, authors. But it was Kevin that that started with, and it just strikes me that that was the the um reputation that he developed. Even though he only kills one main character, it, they go through this entire disaster, and nobody even dies at the fair. But he kills one character, but it felt so real and so justified, and like it had so much weight that he really gained a reputation for being that author who can you know tear your heart out and it's just kind of funny considering there are many it, it just it doesn't have that same gut punch even though there were you know i didn't i didn't think any of those characters should have died but it's <laughs> it's just a different feeling i think that you can you can justify anything a good author could justify anything you could justify stellan you know this straight talking jedi falling to the dark side if you've set up a premise and you explore it in such a way that you get your character there. But to just kind of assume that that weight is going to come just because, uh, you know, you take a character on a journey that ends in their death. I just don't think that uh, it was, it, it was a very... It was a very dissatisfying end of phase one that I still haven't come back from. And it's made me very hesitant to start phase two because I just kind of want it all to be out before I risk my heart again. <laughs> yeah, I can't necessarily recommend reading phase two at this point. But going back to at least the fallen star, I think another thing that really impacted our viewing of it, and I understand we're drifting really astray from Stellina right now, but... <laughs> but... I guess we're just spending about our frustrations is even the deaths that preceded that were sort of like that that wasn't the deaths that preceded it just weren't well written like Orla being that dumb you're kidding you're joking right you, you you're messing with us and the nibs death all those deaths felt very much like okay that's very shittily written I know shittily is not a word it was written like shit it felt rushed. It felt there was no 
moment to it. It just felt like, okay, they died. We're not going to deal with the fallout of that. Really, we're not going to deal with their deaths at all. Um, and yeah, in a way, the way the deaths were written into it just made you not care. Like, we like Nibisek. She was in the previous two books. Um, and we like um, Ola. I mean, I still haven't gone over. Like, it's sort of hard to think about, like, okay, Ola's dead. It, it's like, what? We, we didn't get a moment, really, for her death. She got built up so much in Into the Dark. And was she in another thing? I forget if she was in another thing. She was, I guess, a cool character. And so there's like, oh... Oh no, she was in she was in the comic for a little bit too. But then she's just like, yeah. okay, she died, and, and it's just a shame to see that. She's such a cool character, and whatnot. And, and this is a really random segue, but I want to get back to this. I think something that phase I hope something that phase three does is that it has better connections. Like, because the middle grades and the Y stuff was cool, but it was only cool if you read the other stuff. Like for the middle grades, you're going from uh, Vern and crew. I know I'm saying Vern. She she would stand with a lightsaber if she was here, and then you do Ram and stuff, which is also from the Higher Public Adventures, and you're back to Vern. And then for the YA, you go from three distinct cast of characters. Yes, Wreath is that central line going through it all, but then you go from Comac and and Wreath and Ola and uh, Affy and and the, the the vessel crew for that, and then with the second YA book, it's Vernestra and Imri and Wreath as well and Comac, but it's sort of like, then you have to deal with them going back to middle grade and it's like, okay, I'm not exactly sure I feel about that for Vernestra. Um, yeah. And then the Y, the third, I like Midnight Horizon. I understand that's a controversial opinion. I know a lot of people do love Midnight Horizon, but a lot of people out, sort of outside the fandom don't like it because the way it's written, it's like too casual, too fun. It's not really like reads like star wars which i get to a certain extent it was very uh it was very hip uh, i think that's the best word i can put it it was the dialogue was like very i don't say anti-star wars but not really stuff that we expected it sort of felt like characters from our world like our earth was just like suddenly in star wars and such i personally like that i know a lot of people didn't like that like if you go on goodreads and read the reviews so Possibly a controversial yeah. opinion that I really like Midnight Horizon because I think it's like the worst reviewed YA book in the phase. Um, but I really hope that there's better, um, I guess, connectivity because it brings you back to you can't just read one thing. And with phase two, that's very much the truth. Like you would be totally lost if you did not read everything. Um, if you didn't read or listen to Battle of the Jedi, if you don't, read the adult stuff if you don't do the ya stuff the middle grade stuff actually kind of can skip and the high public adventures and stuff the blade those things actually really do stand out on their own um and the nameless terror and all that which is actually nice because you didn't really have any of that in phase one but in a way it's also like i'm not sure how much i really want that now because it's cool to see that explored but sort of the whole point with phase two is like okay how do we get from phase two to phase three in phase one how how do What's the central line? And the only thing that seems to actually push towards that is the YA books. The comic has been going okay. on in circles forever. Um, the adult books are like, I'm not a huge fan of the adult books. It, I just felt like it was very tropey, very YA, the first adult book. And I was like, 
nah, I, I didn't. I don't even know, remember if I wrote a review for it. I think I may have, but I don't think it was very glowing. Um, and yeah, the only thing in phase two that I really like is the Y books. Path and Seat's great. I I don't know if you've seen me talk about Zala McCree. I love Zala. Now she's dead. I'm like, no, <laughs> please give us a Zala McCree and Kevmo story in the higher public anthology coming out on September 5th. I'm which... excited about that. I'm and I'm very excited for Fakpov too. That's coming out on that day as well. Yeah, but, but... I'm 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 just hoping. I mean, I I interviewed Kevin, and I'm hoping he kind of implied that Lena would have something in that anthology, but maybe I just misread him. But I just I'm so desperate to finally get into her head somehow, and it's just it feels like they're just never going to give well... that to me. I'm sure that we'll get that back with phase three because it's interesting that you've got nothing with phase three yet. I'm sure that celebration, you know, it'll be like with yeah. phase two, they'll announce everything. I hope they live stream it because that was, I remember when I was, I guess that was my first big celebration. It was my first celebration. I was really like, I remember like screenshotting on my phone and then be like posting it. No, I had it on my iPad. I'd screenshot on my iPad, wait for it to go to my iCloud, post it on my phone and be like this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. And I got such a rush from that. That was like really a fun time. Cause that was like, it was my first hour celebration I was watching and it was really a heavy news day. It was like everything that got announced. Um, and it was just sort of insane. I also missed the concept art because I know we got a lot of concept art that day. And we have, uh, we have not gotten a lot of concept art since, which I think is another reason why people have not been connecting to phase two as much. I think concept art is very important. Yeah. Um, I think it definitely helped us see the characters. That was very unique for a book. Normally you don't get concept art. You don't get distinct visuals. So we can all sort of imagine them in the same way. And that's something I really liked with uh, Phase 1. It was the Higher Public Show and everything, which that's a whole other story because the Higher Public Show, I don't want to say it's sort of gone downhill, but I don't think as many people care about it with Phase 2 as we do with Phase 1. Um, but it, it's I miss the concept. But I know talking from friends in the in Europe who've gotten Chronicles of the Jedi. Have you heard of that book? You know the uh, No. So Chronicles of the Jedi is sort of like the Oh, oh we, yeah. That's that's the the reference book, right? Yeah, it's the in universe reference yeah. book, though apparently. Which, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know it was in universe. It is in universe, apparently. I don't know who who writes it, but uh, it is in universe, apparently. And it's apparently it's like talking from some friends, like it's poorly edited, apparently. Like there's some really uh, simple mistakes or whatever, which apparently seems to be a theme with Inside Editions and the books that they publish. But whatever, I'm hear me. I'm just buying it for the art. I am buying it for the art. But, uh, yeah. Anyway, we'll be back after this quick break. Okay, we are back. And I think where we sort of left off was talking about, I guess, connectivity between the uh, books and such. It was, as I said, leading it very much astray from Stalina and that ship. So we should probably try getting back there we inevitably get adrift again but uh i guess what would your favorite stellina moment be if you had to say i know it's tough i know it's tough and there's not a whole lot of them to pick from either i mean the, the one that just evokes the most visceral reaction to me 
absolutely is him holding her and Kip sobbing over her body. And the fact that like in that moment, it's just, it's those characters all together and just having that moment that's just so powerful. And I don't know, like, like I think that that was the thing where it's like, whether this is supposed to be platonic or not, like these characters are very much connected there. And, and we get that even in um, the books that come after it in the, What's the what's the YA book that comes right after Rising Storm? Uh, out of the shadows. Out of the, out of the shadows with 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 Vern and and seeing those pictures and stuff and I just think that like that's all the stuff that I wanted explored too is that that kind of like that impact of these two characters being thrust into the spotlight even more than they already were and you, you know I, I think that we've joked before on Twitter that. You know, people definitely wrote Stalina fan fiction in the universe, and well, Elzar was goes. probably reading it. That's just how it goes. That's inevitable, inevitable yeah. with any fandom. It's weird though because I never finished my Rising Storm reread. I sort of just like stopped partway through because I got busy with midterms and such, and I just didn't really have time to read. I just study things like the Krako written or joined its placement and its function and all that fun stuff. You'd be shocked by how much, how many things go in the speech. There's like so many different things but alas like get off track um i wasn't able to finish it but that's not really the first stellina moment that comes up to me or the one that's like the main one it probably would if i like reread the rising storm because i always forget about that one as of late it's the one where he grabs her or she grabs his hand that one's like oh oh okay you're just like she's desperate in a way and it's so because she that's really dealing with some of the aftermath of you know that very visceral scene that you said when he's sobbing over her body you know she's i think partially grateful partially you know disappointed in herself she's going through a lot of feelings at that point and at, at that point she just sort of she just grabs someone's hand and sort of begs him she she gets very desperate she gets very her wall goes down it's no longer regal lena you know lena who is always sh shimmering you know it's just all that's broken down and you just have her in front and it's just her as a person not her as a chancellor i mean her as a mother as well because of kip and whatnot but that's the one which just that's the real standout one to me where it's like oh geez that that there's so many things that are going on right there i mean everyone just is awkward in the background because that's an intimate moment right there that's their moment and they don't know what to say or what to do um and yeah i just i wish i saw that dynamic explored more because i know it, it's sad uh, i'll say this this is a bit raunchy or whatever but i i think they definitely did it once i think they did that's my that's my head canon <laughs> that's my stupid head canon i mean man. that's all that's all that like that's the stuff that should have been explored like in that like them in between rising storm and fallen star like they were working closely together like i just it could have happened but like i i, I really do. i i love that that scene too and the and i think that the reason why i love that scene is kind of like i said before like i like these characters who are just they're so noble they're so devoted to their duty and it's for me it's the fact that in that moment she grabs his hand and it's not like she you know in in in, in a different book you know maybe the character would confess her love or something like that but what i i love i love in this book is that she grabs his hand and it's all about the duty it's still all about the work and it's about who he is and she says that the galaxy needs 
him and she only knows that because he's been protecting her this whole book and like that's where I'm just like I just I, I love that the most important thing to her is the thing that she entrusts to him yeah I, I I'm like Stalin I would totally crumble into that because you see his duty demands that he does it but he does it at his own personal sacrifice he does he sacrifices his mental health he sacrifices even parts of his ways of his physical health you know he loses weight he's graying you know he's really aging himself he's sacrificing his body mentally and physically but it's all about the duty for him and he just crumbles in a way he really does he's you know i'm just gonna say he's not made out for it that's just not Stellan. That's not to say that's he's not, not a fighter. His, no. And he knows that. Yeah. But he, that's what, he's that's what's bound so hard. by duty. He's bound by duty to do it. He doesn't feel like he can say no. He That's his job. That's who he is. He's bound to the order. He's a dutiful servant. And, you know, he's basically by this person he respects so much. You know, Lena So is basically begging him, saying the galaxy needs him. She needs him. Um, I don't. I forget if she said that she needs him or something like that. Uh, I I feel like I can. I feel like she did or said something of the like, but uh, at that point it's like, oh God, I, I'm sure he's not necessarily happy about it, but he's bound to do it. And that's all yeah, that and, he's. And see, that's what I think that if you wanted to take Stellan on that journey, what I would have done instead is explore him working with Lena. Which, which, like, like, honestly, like, I wanted to see that that dynamic or that, and I think you could come to the realization that, like, this is not a good place for him. He needs to, like, he should not be in that very top level authoritative leadership position because he is not an administrator. He's a teacher. He's a mentor. He wants to be with people. And that's where I think that you can get that kind of feeling of vocational adriftness that I think um, Fallen Star wanted to talk about so much. But I think that it could have been, you could have built off of Rising Storm so much more if it had been a little bit more about like, he became a council member, then he got, a, he got basically, you know, appointed to Republic Liaison. And yeah. even to the point of like military strategist and like, we don't know all of it went into that, but none of those things are him. And so when it comes to Fallen Star, I still maintain that the better ending would have been Orla surviving, Stellan surviving, and then him taking a pretty extended leave of absence from the Jedi yeah. to figure out who he is and what he wants to do. That would have been really, I think that would really would have paralleled his struggle and Elzar's struggle and be like, okay, he got Elzar help, but he needs to get help for himself. Because he was originally was going to go with Elzar to get himself help, you know, go to these places, you know, the Kyber, uh, what is it? The, the mirrors of Jedi, I forget what they're called, but uh, that didn't work out because, you know, he got thrown into this. And it was really just sad to you know, see him die. And I don't think it was a good death. You know, I know some people theorize that he is still alive. I think that's bullshit. I think that's, you know, just people trying to be optimistic at something that's like just not accepting a death. You know, he's dead. He, he's gone. I'm sorry to say it, guys. He, he is gone. Um, 
he's not swimming. He's swimming with the fishies, but you know, I think the fishies might be, um, I know the people listening to this can't see, but I'm just making a little chomping motion. I don't think, I think he's fish food now, guys. I don't think he, he's coming out of there, but people don't survive that. Especially with like that prologue or not the prologue. Epilogue. Well, the epilogue and I don't know if you read, did you see the uh, cover for the anthology coming out? And did you read that uh, little excerpt with it? Um, I saw the cover. I'm not sure if I. Oh, the excerpt. Um, uh, Claudia's excerpt, right? Yeah, you could see the destruction that was yeah. going on in the world. It's like you don't survive that. I'm sorry, you just don't. Uh, I don't. I don't honestly know how Irem and Irino is surviving that either. Because when you have a yeah. massive space station, like this, this thing's massive. It's not like the ISS where it's like, okay, it crashes down. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't destroy our world. Um. But when you have a massive space station coming down, I don't know how, even though it was sort of like outside the atmosphere, it wasn't like a meteoroid going and crashing down. I don't know how, is it crashing to Iram? I always get those two planets mixed up. Just say Iram for the time being. I don't know how Iram even is surviving right now. I get, like you see in that uh, excerpt that's destroying cities and whatnot, but it's like, yeah, I'm sorry. Stellan ain't surviving that. No one. I don't know how the planet survived that. Yeah, but but Leox survived. Claudia gave yeah. him real good plot armor. Oh my! Let's. I, I can't talk about him surviving. That's such bullshit, right there. It's so <laughs> stupid. It's so dumb. He, and it's he survived so... in the stupidest way. He survived in the stupidest way. And I love Lex. He's an ace icon. But holy, that's just that's such a stupid way for him to live. He should have died. It would have been such a powerful moment if he actually died there. That was such a great setup. It's like, oh, he's living for comic relief at that point. And okay. especially because if if he had died, it would have been the only death that I thought was justified. Because the whole book, we see Affy getting really close to um, what's the couple's name? The um, Justin wait, Justin Joss. Joss Adrian. Yeah, Joss right? and, and No, Pika. Yeah, and Pika. Yeah, P Pika and Joss. Yeah. And so like we see her connecting with them, and I was like, she's gonna go with them, isn't she? She's gonna find another family who's like 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 she's actually gonna have a mom again. And I definitely thought that that's where it was going, especially when Leox died. And then Claudia just kind of hit the reset, and I was like, okay, so you kill everybody else's characters. And then you Wait, save uh, yours. Hold, hold on. How dare you? Geode is a perfectly suitable mom. How dare you <laughs> diss Geode like that? Geode is the king and the queen. He is the Ge everything. Don't you dare diss him in this in this house. You don't this is a Geode stan house. He does everything. We do not disrespect him here. I mean, can you can you deny the fact that Geode is a ladies' man and he doesn't have time for kids? <laughs> he needs to make more kids. <laughs> I don't I even mean, remember. You know, like one of those I, ridiculous I, things where, like, I have no idea how that works. Like, I can actually understand people being upset at the higher public for having Geo because it's like it's one of those things where if you're a fan of it, it's funny comic relief. But if you're like sort of like mad about it, it's like, okay, why the fuck does this character exist? Why he's flirting with a human? He, he's moving now. Okay, he's a rock that moves and talks and can do things. 
and this is our Star Wars now. Okay, we have Disney. Wow, well done. It's one of those. That's why I thought like, <laughs> it was the that that whole crew was very good in Into the Dark. I think that that was fun, and it was a YA book. And I really think that they should have stayed in a YA book. They it were didn't written, feel right. They were it didn't like feel YA right when you were trying to do in an adult book. They were written yeah, like exactly. YA characters in an adult book, and which is why it didn't fit. It was like those characters did not fit in their story. Orla segued pretty well with that. Um, Orla was, you know, she was always was the more mature. She sort of acted like an adult character. And same thing with Comac. So that always, their, their transition, well, Comac actually didn't appear in an adult book, but Orla's transition seemed very natural. That seemed very, uh, anything, she seemed sort of out of place in a YA book. But yeah, um, yeah oh dear, Comac. I'm sure a lot of people, like, I'm just casually mentioning Comac again, PTSD. I'm just going to say woods, woods, woods. So the PTSD just sort of rises up. Uh, that was a, I remember reading that on my laptop and being like, oh my gosh. We actually just like up and outed. That was, that was such a, uh, I'm going to say funny moment. Uh, that one didn't really like break my heart. It just was shocking and funny. <laughs> yeah. Mostly shock. That was like, oh, oh, oh okay. That, I don't know how to, interpret that i don't know what to say about that um but okay that, that, that was pre- that's pretty cool that's pretty cool <laughs> i i still don't know what to think of that decision other than it's just shocking like totally out of this totally, and that's another thing that was a shocking moment where again you could see the build-up of that happening but also it's like you don't necessarily expect it you sort of see Cantum telling that story to be like it's okay to struggle. It's okay to have these doubts. Everyone has that, yep. but you still belong. You're still part of this order. And he sort of, he doesn't even leave because of that. I don't know really even that persuaded him, but it's sort of like, you don't expect him to do that. He just, he's telling him the story or they're telling him this story. I know sometimes Canton does get misgendered actually a lot, which is unfortunate. I try my best not to say, to say they, um, which was it's difficult because you don't really i haven't really read the high public adventures in a little while the phase one version and uh they don't really use their pronouns that often that nah, it's most of the book but mm-hmm. um it's just uh, you don't expect him to do it you don't expect him to run off in the woods and it's like that's just the weirdest way to go it's just he has lights up running into the woods it, it's still funny that he just runs into the woods what is he going to do in the woods? What, what's he going to do? He just runs into the woods. I mean, I and like no that, one... the, you know, they explore a lot of different uh, kind of strange things. I mean, uh, remember Bucket's Blood? And uh, his uh, oh my his uh, shirtless ending. Bucket's of Blood is on the scene. Bucket's of Blood is doing that. See, these are these characters that I miss in Phase 2. Phase 2 has no iconic characters like that. Or sorry, they did have an iconic character. Kevin, oh, he's dead. Oh. Did you know that? No, I did know that. I did know okay. that one. And and that's I, I, on, that's I, honestly why I like I when I heard that I was like, well, that was that that was the only thing that I was interested in was the two of them. No, but, but honestly though in the grand scheme of things, their death actually like is real. I, I like their death. I actually okay. it's sad that Kevmo and Zala die, but whole Zala's death is haunting. Like she's screaming and crying as she calcifies and she has this ethereal presence she's just calm she's collected and then you just see her lose it like when the nameless hatches 
I don't want to spoil you too much, but she just like, she just loses all composure. She just like starts screaming and such and cries. Like a tear goes down her eye. She like finishes calcifying and such. And it's like, that shit is the most haunting death I have seen in Star Wars. That That is, that is, I just don't know how to describe it because it's just, it's so haunting. I was like, holy, that, that scared the hell out of me. And it's ingrained in my brain permanently. Like that, I, I don't think I'll, I think I'll die remembering that scene because it's just, it's so haunting. It sticks with you. I mean, that's what I love about these books is that like these books can be any genre. I love that like we we get the romance, we get horror, we get adventure, we get all of these things and it all fits together so nicely when when it all feels justified. You can You can go from kind of one genre to the other and sometimes like you see those genres almost like between characters but like in general i've been very happy with with the high republic at least um maintaining a continuity that i didn't know if i could expect you know after after the sequel trilogy after just kind of being burned a little bit when multiple people are working on a project like it's mm-hmm. i just really think that like when you have a project this big with this many characters i love the fact that we've got all of these different authors who are able to you know, um, sometimes you have an author who really just write, like they're the only one who writes a character. And then you mm-hmm. also get the people who, you know, there are characters who are written by several different authors and you kind of see a little bit of a different take on characters, um, which is really interesting. One one thing that I wanted to to mention that I, I need to go back and I need to reread, uh, yeah, Out of the Shadows, because that's the one, um, you know, with, with, with Stalin and Lena, it's the only book where we kind of get just a little hint of like they're working together. Did we? But I, I well, I mean, what we get is there are a couple of different characters in that book who, from their own points of view, make comments about the Republic's corruption or something like that. It's it you know it, it was really interesting to me because right from the beginning people were theorizing like is lena a villain and you know it's 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 hard when she's not a pov character so we don't see a ton of well she is in light of the jedi but we don't see a a little bit just a little yeah exactly just a little bit but like we we don't see her interior mind too much so theoretically it you know she could still be revealed as someone with ulterior motives but I i I, I really doubt it. I mean, I just, the way that, the way that she is portrayed, like, I truly do believe that, like, she's loved by the Republic. You know, she, there's there's always going to be the people who disagree with how much money she's spending or whatnot. But in terms of, like, just being somebody who really does, is like, she's, she's living into this role. Like, she sees herself as a servant of the, of the Republic. But then in Out of the Shadows, I know that there are a couple of different characters who kind of cast some doubt on that. And it, that was really interesting because I didn't really feel that ever played with in the other books. But I, you know, so I wonder if that was like just, I think that was Justina who was writing that one. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if that's something that was kind of at the forefront of her mind or just the characters that she was writing with. But I don't know. I was kind of wondering, like, like, where have you fallen? Like, when you like, like, do you think like she's totally on the up and up, and that like, like, uh, what what I'm curious about is going into phase three. 
where do you think that we are going to find her? Well, I definitely she's a total good person. I don't, I don't think there's any malice in her. Um, I will say this. Stop making great works, please. Just not only are you using a lot of money for them, they, it always ends in destruction. So let's maybe not for a little bit. Um, I, I do think she's totally good. It will be a very interesting place to see where we find her in phase three. I don't think she can ever be vengeful. I think she's too calm, too collected for that. I don't think we'll ever see her break. Um, as to like where she's headed, I, I really don't know because you have this they basically control the Nile basically control the outer rim now because of those seeds that they have. Um, so I really don't know where we'll find her. I don't think she'll go draconian. I think her and the Jedi are going to have to be very much in lockstep. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. Um, but I really have like no idea where it's going to go. I, I, I just, cause I have no idea where phase three is going to go. I understand like it's going to, the Nihil going to be done after that. Like, I think the Nihil, they're going to defeat the Nihil in phase three. I think we pretty much know that. And it's going to get buried and such because we know what happens. You know, stuff in phase two got buried. And I imagine stuff in phase three will also, in phase one, will also get buried because none of the characters reference the nameless or anything like that. So I think it's pretty safe to say that this history will get buried. Um, but I think it'll also be interesting to see our reception to it because I think phase one was very much our honeymoon phase. We loved everything. We were able to overlook flaws and such. And then when the fallen star hit, it's like that was the first one where it really wasn't good. So then the honeymoon phase sort of ends. And then you sort of reevaluate some stuff in phase one, but then phase two comes along. And phase two is totally different. You're going back 150 years or a whole cast of new characters. And there's sort of been a very lackluster response to that. Path of Deceit has been the only one that sort of received universal acclaim. All the other ones have sort of been like, some people like it, some people dislike it, some people hate it, and you kind of get that for every single part of Phase 2. Um, so, I think it'll be interesting to see when we get back to Phase 3, are we going to go right back into that honeymoon phase where it's like, okay, we love all these characters and such, we're going to shower everything with praise, whether it actually deserves to be or not. I'm not saying Rising Storm, Light of the Jedi, all these early books didn't deserve to be showered with praise. They're good books. But I think it will be interesting to see where our reception's at at that point, because I think, I think in a way, Phase 2 was a mistake. I, I've talked to people who was like, you know, it should have just been a YA duology or trilogy. And I agree with that. I, I don't think you want to do these books. That is fine. I would love to have Convergence and Cataclysm as duology. Do it when you're done phase three. Do it when you're done telling the higher public story. There's no reason to have a giant chunk, a, a giant break in the middle and having all these stories. The YA books would have been a perfect segue. You want to take a year break, that's fine. Give us the YA books that fills in the gap. Great. I think the middle grade books are pointless. No, I shouldn't say pointless. I think that's a bit too disrespectful. I think the middle grade books don't serve a point in the greater purpose of this phase. The Blade, and I think they sort of see that because the Blade, the Higher Public Adventures, these are all things that are standalone stories. They connect to Phase 1, but they don't connect the everything overall as a whole. There's no path of the open hand in that or whatever. So again, those are things I think could have been used during a break. 
from phase one to a hype to phase three, which could have became phase two, and then you just or phase that would still be phase three. You just have the YA book being phase two, YA duology or trilogy, which I think would have better served the plot as well because it would have been more just hyper focused on that. I don't think we need kind of close because you can still use that and still have the path of the open hand in those books and have that come out at a later time because right. it connects and it kind of connects but it also doesn't really connect it's just it's just a mess and it becomes i get very frustrated by it i think i'd be better we'd be better served now by having our phase one characters back because yeah. the reception of these characters has been lackluster i know there's some who stan axel graylark i can't stand the dude i want to stuff him in a trash can and say you suck go away you're annoying as hell I don't like you. I don't know why people ship you with Gela. You guys have minimal chemistry. I don't know why people like Ziri and Fawn too that much. I just I don't really like any of the the uh, the, the uh, phase two characters in the adult books. I don't get why people are fawning over them and be like, oh my gosh, Ziri and Fawn too. That's such a great romance. I'm like, I kind of see it, but it's so tropey. It's so YA. I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not my type of Star Wars book. I'm not a big trope guy. I'm not a big it was very much romance, and I am not a, a a romance guy. I I've read this romance book, and I absolutely love the prose. I love the writing of it, and it came back out in November. And I remember buying it like a week early because Barnes Noble is great like that. Sometimes you get a book early, um, and I still haven't finished it. I'm like two thirds of the way through. I just can't finish it. it. The it bores me. I'm not a big romance guy. Romance bores me. It's I, even though I love the book, I still see can't that's exactly. Well, I mean, you're probably very much like me where like, I, I, uh, I'm not a romance person. I like when there is romance, but I like it as a secondary genre. So that's why I've always loved Han and Leia, but I wasn't as interested when they started to add in the Raylo stuff in the sequels. It's so it's like, it's like, I mean, and, and again, with that Stelina, was just sort of like, that was sort of just show. Sh sh no, no, <laughs> yeah, I can't yeah, it, that's where it was just shoehorned in there. I don't yeah. like get Raylo. I don't understand I don't why that works. But that was just sort of like yeah. thrown in there at the last minute. Uh, I don't really get that. I understand people, some people ship it to hell. And there's even like Allie Hazelwood sort of wrote a, I don't know if you know who Allie Hazelwood yeah. is. She wrote that book that was sort of like Raylo coded. Um, oh, oh, they're all they're all over the place. I walk through the bookstore and I'm like, that's a Raylo book. <laughs> it's like just from the covers. It's just crazy. But but like that that's the thing is like I I like my characters I like the I like I like my romances understated I like it when it's there and I would love a little bit more of Stellina if it would if we could actually ever get that anthology 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 book Hey I'm I'm just saying that there's absolutely a possibility of making her a POV character and having her think back on their their time working together I, I'd have Kevin Scott write that but I think Kevin Scott's probably going to write a Keeve story that you know come on kev just give me my girl yeah i got but that's the thing is that, that, that his girl yeah it is yeah yeah she is but that's the thing is that like like when i think about the phases i think that you're absolutely right i don't i personally don't think that um phase two was the way to go like you know i i know they have said that they wanted to do just like the movies do an original trilogy and then do prequels and then do sequels and i'm just kind of like but you do get that the original trilogy going back to the prequels like they were still the same characters at least some of them in terms of like you know 
you're finding out who Vader is. And mm -hmm. like while there's just a, there's a couple characters that we see in the in phase two, I just think that they were asking a lot of us to exactly. end on end phase end phase one, where, you know, however it was going to end, and then get to know a whole new set of characters, and then go back to the characters that we already knew and, and loved. Who we all expect to die too. We all expect those phase two characters sure. to die because you know the secret goes down. So we all expect like I'm going into cataclysm and uh path of vengeance with like okay they're all gonna die because we saw that even with path of deceit everyone died everyone died so you just know that it's gonna be a bloodbath yeah everyone's gonna well, die and, and and i mean that's the whole i mean that's that's what happens when when you do a prequel like like you i don't know, I, know I, I just think happen. that like you kind of know what's going to happen and the thing is is like you can play kind of fast and loose with those characters because you know that they're not going to be the ones that you're ending with. And that's fine I guess, but it's the same with the prequels, uh the the prequel movies like we all knew where it was going and I think that there is like it was a successful story like getting up to that point, but it you just kind of have to accept that like that's that's part of the very fabric of phase 2 and it's part of the reason why I haven't jumped at reading them in like regardless of the fact that i was just burned from phase one like that's the other part of it is like they, they like they like launched us into phase two when i was still hurting from phase one and i'm like i don't want new characters i don't want you to rip my heart out again but but for me when i when i think about like where is it going and again like i haven't read phase two so i don't know what if anything is implied but like we don't know how like much of a time jump there's going to be into phase three like we just don't know but for me i think i think you're absolutely right that in terms of lena i don't think that we're going to see her you know vengeful or anything like that i also don't think that we're going to see her in power i don't i i don't think that she will be chancellor anymore because i think that after Ooh, all of a, these that's an, that's an interesting point of view i think she'll still i think that I we're think... going to well, but but the thing is, is that Claudia actually, you know, changed that in in Rising Storm. I I had asked this on Twitter. I had I had tried to find a, a thing in Rising Storm about how many years she had left as Chancellor. In Rising Storm, she has four years left as Chancellor. In Fallen Star, the That's whole great. reason the whole reason why she snaps, isn't it because like the guy is concerned about her re-election efforts? Like she's. Like I think that that was changed. Like she's she doesn't like, and the thing is, is that in Rising Storm, she's know. not even going to seek. She's not even going to seek re-election. She like I think she was they say limited. that. Um, she was yeah, limited. because well, it makes sense. It, it makes sense if she's already been in that role and she's got four years left, and that means that she already had served a term before. And so, like Rising Storm says that Lara Parisa is probably going to be the one to succeed her. So, like I don't really know where they'll take her based on what Claudia set up in at the end of that, but. What I think that we will see is I think that she will be pretty despondent and I could see where her, you know, just kind of, I could see her returning to her yeah. home world. I could see her, you know, doing something like that. And I think that she's going to be filled with a lot of guilt and remorse. And yeah. so I don't really know if they can give her a good storyline. I mean, she hasn't really had storylines in the same way before. I would love to see her as more of a main character, but... I'm not sure. I'm not really sure what we can expect from phase three. I will be excited for phase three, but who knows? <laughs> so before we do a quick wrap up, I'm just going to say another part thing about phase two that I don't really like is also there's like a really lack of queer characters. I don't know how much you really care about the representation 
because you know Star Wars Chris watch on Twitter and I were talking today and it's like it's really disappointing how we've only had like a few like with phase one there was a lot and it felt like this really big step towards representation of Star Wars and you just don't get that with phase two as much anymore so I think it's I think that's disappointing um but alas that's just my opinion okay so before we let's just say a quick wrap up I guess I'm trying to think of how I should end this um what would you say I guess what would you say your hope for Stalina would have been quickly as we as a clock ticks down on the meeting what would you say quickly your dream scenario for them would have been Oh, dream scenario. I mean, what, what what I have imagined is I have imagined him coming back from Rising Star or from from Fallen Star um, and just showing up in her apartment. And like, oh like, I, I just think that, like, I think that if he came back, if he came back in some way, I still think that he would have to be distanced from the order. Like, I think that he would have to like, he just wouldn't wouldn't be with them for a while. And so I could see him going to her. And like, I don't I don't know, like, I think that, you know. I, I always have those little visions of like, I wanted them to be a family, but you know, that's never going to happen. But I don't know. How about you? I'm more, I guess, I guess if I can't really change the story, I guess for me, I guess the dream way I could do this ending was, you know, just a hollow photo, just a, just a photo of her where on his, on her desk or whatever, just sort of like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? God, this is what happens when I'm up for too, like I'm up so late and I've had a tiring day. I mean, I'm not, I stay up later, but it's just been a tiring day. Uh, what's the word? If you can, what's the, uh, just, uh, the sentiment, you know, just being sentimental, just having a picture up on her desk. just like a bit of an ode. If we can't change anything, then my hope is just that it, when we see her, will get her reflecting on him in a very sentimental way absolutely but anyway jess thank you so much for joining me tonight this was a wonderful podcast episode and i really appreciate you joining me well thank you alex i'm so glad that we were finally able to do this yeah thank you all right well this has been an episode of geos reviews thank you for listening this has been an episode of geos reviews the interview podcast i sincerely hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. And as always, I look forward to any feedback you may have for me. May the force be with you and thank you.